Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Welcome to the Military Messini Show. <laughs> Our daughter wakes up in an hour. And, Mel- and Melissa's tapping away on her computer. And I've drawn the line in the sand. I'm here. I'm here, guys. Time to get started, darling. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. I know we have a time frame. Sleeping baby, let's do this. Wow. Sexy voice. <laughs> guys, welcome back to the show. I have the famous Nick Broadhurst with us again today. How exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting to be me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you mean? He, uh, guys, I just got to tell you before we started rolling, he grabs an essential oil blend. Now, if you've heard our last Q&A together, you'll know that he has an extensive beauty regime and he whips out a blend that he's made and it has an F on the top. And he goes, I'm just putting on my focus blend, being dead serious, dead serious. Like he was talking to himself. He's like, I'm just putting on my focus blend. No, I was not talking to myself. I was talking to you. No, I wasn't paying attention. So he just, he smells really good, guys, but he's got his focus blend on because we're focusing. I've, I've also got ice blue on my knee. I've got to tell this story. It's a great story. So I'm getting into bed and... I just sort of, it was, it was dark and I kneel on the bed and all of a sudden my knee just like really hurts. And I look down and I realize I've like kneeled on a button. <laughs> <laughs> a button, ladies and gentlemen. And I, I sort of forgot about it, went to bed. And during the night I was like, gosh, my knee's pretty sore. Like it felt really sensitive touching the sheets. Dead set. Woke up in the morning. I had this giant inflamed, swollen red knee and I could barely walk or bend it from a button. A button, like a button. That's B-U-T-T-O-N, yes. That is the lamest, lamest story ever. And I was so excited because I'm like, okay, I'm ready to start surfing again after I ruptured my tendon in my wrist. And then I wake up and my knee is gone from a button. Mm, From a button. Anyway, great story. This episode, we're going to be talking about something a bit more profound and serious. We have never spoken about this. I have never spoken about this because, to be honest, for so long, I wasn't ready. It was so big for me. And I wasn't, I, I just didn't have the words. And it almost felt like trying to put it into words would just devalue it. It, And in some respects, it it kind of does. Mm. As you will soon learn, so Melissa's brought me on to help reflect back this experience that we both went through together. I am sharing my near-death experience, and this happened in September 2018. Gosh. And... Like Nick said, I've brought him back on to fill some gaps because there were parts of it that were blurry. Well, you are unconscious for parts of it. Exactly. So let's start from the top, shall we? Let's start from the top. So we were house-sitting Nick's parents' house, which is where we got married. It was It's a beautiful, beautiful property, and we had had a really yummy lunch. I remember what we ate. We ate sweet potato chips, and I think you made like a vegan aioli that we used to love. We don't make that anymore. we got to make it. Anyway, you made a really yummy lunch and were sitting there looking out at this beautiful view, and it was so beautiful. And I remember feeling in that moment just so grateful to be alive and just in awe of where we were. For those that are listening that had seen the house that we got married in, Nick's parents' old house. It was just so beautiful. And I remember sitting there and feeling so grateful and 
just so in awe of where we were. And I was then going to do some errands. I think I was maybe going to go for a walk, go to the post office and maybe go to the gym. I can't remember where I was going. Do you remember? No. No. Okay. And so they have this really long driveway, really long driveway. How long is it? Uh, Probably a kilometer. Yeah, it's about a kilometer. So I drove down the driveway, not all the way, and then I turned around because I forgot something. I can't remember what I forgot. And then I started driving back down the driveway again, and then I forgot something again. And and I never forget anything, ever. True. Yeah, exactly. I don't forget things. And then I went back down the driveway again for the third time, and I forgot my shoes, like I was barefoot and going and doing all of these errands. And so I drove back up, and I remember Nick going, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm, I forgot my shoes. And I don't know, did you think anything weird then? No, I just thought you were a weirdo. <laughs> So anyway, third time driving back up the driveway, I got my shoes, got all the things that I forgot. And so I'm driving into town, which is about a 30-minute drive. So it's a beautiful, scenic, rolling hills, gorgeous drive through the hinterland into town to go for a walk in the post office or whatever I was doing. And so I called my dad on the drive, which I usually do. I called my dad and about halfway into the drive, so about, yeah, 15 minutes in, my dad all of a sudden started to sound like a dog. So I'm driving and he just starts sounding like he was going, woo, 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 woo. And I was like, that is so weird. My dad sounds like a dog. This is my thought process. That is so weird like, this is really strange. I had no idea what was going on. Anyway, I hung up the phone and I started getting pins and needles in my body. And then there was a point where I hung up the phone from my dad and I got to this roundabout, which was probably how many kilometers? Well, it would have been 17 minutes away. Yeah. And I have no recollection of how I got there. No idea. And then I remember coming to it when we got, when I got to this certain roundabout and I somehow managed to call Nick. I don't know how I did that. And this is when things got pretty interesting. Yeah, so I get this phone call from Melissa in tears but sounding really odd. Like I knew something was seriously up. And she's saying, I don't know what's wrong. I think I'm dying. I just keep blacking out. I think I'm going to die. I'm sorry. I think I'm dying and just kept repeating the same thing. And I was like, where are you? Tell me where you are. And she said, I'm at the BP station. Like, No, I said, I kept on saying, I said something else. What was it? I said like gardens. And you were like, where are you? And I was like, gardens. Oh yeah. It was something like that. And I kept on saying, I remember saying gardens and you were like, where are you? And you were like, pull over, pull over. And you're going, where are you? And I kept on saying gardens. And how did you know where I was? I don't know. I think I think you eventually said something about a service station. I, I can't really remember. It's a bit of a blur because I was just kind of like, oh, my God, sort of freaking out. And, and there's only one road into town, really. Like there's one route. So you yeah. kind of knew roughly I'd be on that route somewhere. Yeah. So I said, I'm calling an ambulance and I'm going to leave now. Luckily, we had a second car. And... I think I broke the uh, land speed limit record, whatever. I shouldn't say that, but I was driving pretty quick. And I called an ambulance and told them where I thought she was. And by the time I pulled up, because I was trying to call her, and you weren't answering the phone, were you, on the way down? I don't think I did one time, and then I think maybe I remember talking to you. Oh, no, yes, you. you answered the phone, and then mid-sentence you said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going again. And then he just went silent. Yeah, so so I, I remember saying, oh, no, it's happening. It's happening yeah. again. It's happening again. And what was happening was I was getting pins and needles all over my body. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening again. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going. Bye. I love you. And then I would black out. And Nick's on the other end of the phone. 
thinking. Yeah, I thought she was dead, actually. It was really, really weird. And so <clears throat> I didn't know what I would find when I got there. But when I when I saw her, when I found the car, pulled over in a very unusual spot so it was easy to find her, I went to the window and I just saw her. She'd reclined the driver's seat back and she was just dead white, like really white, and she had her eyes closed. And then I was like, babe, babe, and she opened her eyes and just kept telling me, I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm done. And then she just would black out again. Her eyes would roll back and she'd black out and say, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm going. And just this sort of kept happening several times. Yeah. And I remember feeling a relief when you arrived and he would just kind of, he was standing, I think he was standing next to the car, like the door open, like, and I was in the driver's seat with it reclined. Yeah, I was kneeling, kneeling next to you. Yeah. And you were so calm and so beautiful. You were, you were amazing. I remember that. And yeah, it just kept on happening where I would just say, I'm so sorry. I love you so much, but I'm going, I'm going. And I felt my nonna and my best friend Jess there. I, I could feel them and they have passed. And I could feel them and they were both there and they were both smiling and they were like reaching out to me and like reaching their hand to me and like almost like luring me in. They don't, they, you don't have, they didn't say any words, but they're like luring you in with their energy. Not like, come, yeah, kind of like come with us. And then Nick would stroke my hair and then I'd be brought back to reality. But like, I really wanted to go with them because it felt so good. And there was, you know, that white light and it felt so good to be there. And then Nick would stroke my hair with his fingers and pull me back to reality. And I remember like gasping and then going, okay, I'm here. Okay. And then I'd open my eyes again. And then I think the ambulance came after that and he kind of climbed into the passenger seat. And what was the first thing he said? Yeah, I was lucky because the ambulance came about five minutes after I got there. So, I mean, I was, I didn't know what to do. So I just kept trying to keep you conscious. And I kept talking to you and I said, don't close your eyes, don't close your eyes. And you'd say, I'm going, I'm going. And I was like, babe, don't close your eyes, don't close your eyes. And I kept sort of yelling at you and touching your hair and Anyway, the ambulance guy came and said, what's going on here? Talk to me, talk me through it. And I explained what I knew, which wasn't much. And he sort of looked at me and he's like, don't worry, you know, we've got this, we've got this. And he just started with a very, very strong voice saying, Melissa, Melissa, it's whatever his name was. Let's say John. It's John here from the ambulance. Melissa, you're not dying. And you'd say, I'm dying, I'm dying. You're not dying, Melissa. And what did you do then? I can't remember. I remember, like, my eyes were closed here or they were, I remember they, you were saying that they were back in my head and they were closed and I was white as a ghost. I was reclined back and he was very firm. And I remember it was like, oh, no, it's happening again. It's happening again. And he was like, you're not dying. And he was so firm. And he started beating on my chest. Mm. And beating on my chest, like over my heart and beating on my chest. And he was like, she needs to lay down. We need to keep her laying down. And then I came to it again after that. And he said, okay, we need to get her out and into the back of the ambulance. So he got out and then Nick and him managed to get me onto the bed, which was beside the car and wheel me into the back of the ambulance. And I remember not wanting to leave Nick. I remember not wanting to leave him. And I remember every time it happened I'd, and I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm dying. I'm sorry, I'm dying. Like what kept on pulling me back was not just his fingers stroking my hair, but like my love for him. Like I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not done. Like I'm not done. I love him so much and I want to be there for him. And that was what was pulling me back. Mm. And so I got in the ambulance. Would that still be the case now? Or you, you, you know, I see ya. In the afterlife, do they, do you, would you spit less on microphones? 
me. That could be yours. I was, I was just watching you spray my microphone with your. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gosh. Definitely, definitely not staying around next time it happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So I get into the ambulance and Nick had to follow us in. The car. Hang on, though. We we had two cars there. So what did yeah. we do? We left one car there. Yeah, we we went back and got the car a couple of days later. Okay, cool. So I got in the ambulance with this man, John, and Nick was following behind, which I really didn't want. I was I really wanted him with me. I felt really sad, but he was like, "I've got to drive behind you." Anyway, got in the ambulance with this guy, John. He like straps me up to everything and puts me in. And he starts running all of these tests and then it starts happening again. And I'm like, oh no, it's happening again. It's happening again. Oh no. And I get that pins and needles all over my whole body. And. But you also said it felt like you had bubbles in your brain. Yeah. So it felt like bubbles in my brain. Like, yeah, I can't explain it any more than like bubbles in my brain and pins and needles all over my body. And yeah, tingles everywhere. And so I was like, oh no, it's happening again. Oh no. And then I pass out again, fully blackout. Meanwhile, John is belting my chest, belting my chest with his fist and then flips my legs almost so I'm upside down because all of the blood had rushed away from my head. So he like flipped the bed. In the ambulance, so my legs were like virtually vertical, not that far, but like very high up. And he's banging on my chest with his fist and he's going, you're not dying. Open your eyes, Melissa. Open your eyes. And he's like opening my eyes. He's like, you're not dying. You're not dying. And then that went on. And then eventually I came back to it and we got to the ambulance. It was literally, oh, how far is the ambulance from where we were? 10 minutes. 10 minutes, yeah. Yeah. So then we get to the hospital and they wheel me out and I'm in the hallway waiting. And then Nick appears, uh, which was such a relief. And he's like, how are you? What did you think then? I remember looking at you because the color was back in your face and kind of laughing and going, you look like the healthiest person I've ever seen in the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't say that then. Oh, that was later maybe. That was later. You were still concerned then. Yeah, I was. I was. Because I didn't know what was going on in the ambulance and then you told me that it happened again and really just had to wait and see what they were going to say. And, you know, I was relieved that we were in the hospital because – you know, as much as we can criticize Western medicine for certain things, we also have to praise them for other things. And in this case, I was very grateful to be there because I felt like she was safe. And um, yeah, we just sort of had to wait for these tests to be done. So we're in the hallway. We haven't even been given a room yet. So we're in the hallway and we may have been holding hands and a couple of minutes go past again and it happens again. And I said, oh no, it's happening again. It's happening again. I'm so sorry. I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And pass out again. And then I came to it and we were eventually wheeled into a room and we were in there. And that's when the color, I think, started coming back to my face. And you then said to me, what the heck is happening? What is happening? And so by this time, I could finally use my words and and explain what was unfolding for me. And so I I told them and Nick, because they had eventually come in, and so I told them that I saw the light and that I was going And then I told them that my nonna and Jess were there and they thought that I should go with them and they were like so happy and it was just so beautiful. And truly, they thought I was absolutely crazy, (laughs) didn't they? Yeah, I think as well because there was no, once all the tests had been run, there was really, there was just nothing. Like, yeah, they did every test. They checked my heart. They did all these tests. And I kept on saying to them, nothing is wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with me. And they were like, you have to stay overnight and we need to monitor you and monitor your heart rate. 
and I really didn't want to stay overnight. They were like, you have to. And I'm like, do I really have to stay overnight? Eventually, yeah, they did. They said I had to, didn't they? Yeah, they weren't letting you out. No way. Which is so crazy. That's actually really crazy. Well, is it? I mean, you had just like lost consciousness about 10 times. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Okay. So, but anyway, I knew and Nick knew, we both knew that nothing was wrong with me and that this was a spiritual experience. Like I knew as soon as we finally got into that room and Nick said, what is happening? And the color had come back into my face. I knew that this was a spiritual experience and this there was nothing wrong with me. He's like, hey, do you feel okay? Is there anything wrong with your heart? No, nothing was wrong with me. And I explained it to these doctors and they just, like I said, they thought I was absolutely crazy. And so they left us alone in there for a while. And Nick pulled out his phone and started taking notes because I started sharing everything about this experience, which is kind of what we're telling you guys here. But I was getting so many downloads and I was getting so many reminders and truths that were just coming to me. And we were laughing. I remember sharing with you just the messages that were coming through. And one of the big ones was, us humans make life so hard for ourselves. We make life so challenging for ourselves for no reason sometimes. Yes, but that is also the human condition, mm. right? And not, I mean, there are humans that have come here and had a different experience, not as challenging. I think, you know, Buddha and other people have attained certain states of consciousness, might have transcended some of that, but. Generally, that is the human condition. Mm. It's it's not something to be escaped, really, because, and it's all relative as well. You know, what Melissa and I might call hard is very different to what someone else might call hard who has grown up in, I don't know, grown up in Baghdad and has to go through a war or something or mm. in the Ukraine right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember sharing all of this with you in, in a dazed state. I wasn't fully back in my body. And some other big lessons that were coming through or reminders, sorry, I should say, were just how we make life so hard for ourselves. We take things so seriously, but just how important play is. And the message that kept coming through to me was play is the reason we are here. We need to play more. Play is the reason we are here. We need to play more. Play is the reason we are here. We need to play more. Play is the reason we are here. We need to play more. And all of these lessons and reminders that were just coming through me were clearly for me, but also, you know, when I was sharing them with Nick, I was like, this is our reminders that we need right now. And I couldn't stop laughing. Like we both couldn't stop laughing. Like you probably were laughing at me and just thinking what the heck is going on here. But I just couldn't stop laughing at how we are totally missing the point of life. We make life so hard for ourselves. Well, let's be careful not to generalize. Yeah. Okay. Because not everyone does. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll speak for me. I, at times, make my life so hard for myself. I cause myself so much inner turmoil and have in the past extremely um, unnecessarily. I was going to say broken my balls. <laughs> well, you, you were searching for words. I thought that was what you're looking for. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. So these messages that just kept on coming through were just such beautiful reminders for me. And I hope that, you know, you can take something from these as well, that we make life so hard for ourselves sometimes and we really don't need to and that we don't need to take things so seriously and that play is the reason that we're here and we need to play more. Yeah, and unfortunately we actually had a lot more notes written down and I don't think we had iCloud turned on your notes and we got a new phone and lost them, so that was a shame. But um, So there were more notes than that. But um, let's just talk about play for a second because I know for me that one of the biggest shifts I ever had in my life was when I decided to become the most playful parent possible for Leo. Because I was playing like this, you know, serious parent role. That's what you do, right? You have to like be the parent. And all of a sudden, 
after a conversation with Melissa and my best mate James Colhoun, it just dawned on me that that was the piece I was missing. And so I decided to become so much more playful and it completely transformed my relationship with, with Leo. This was quite a while ago now. Actually, no, it was before that. It was about 2017 or 16 or something. And it, yeah, it was a game changer. So let's talk about play. How, like what's something you're doing now? You've just come out of a big launch. You've just launched Holy Mama. There wasn't a lot of play during those three weeks, I would say, because we were, yeah, we were just really in a period of push, I think you'd call it. No, work. Yeah. I don't push. Semantics. <laughs> we're in work mode. Yeah, sure. We're in, in creation work mode, right? And so there wasn't as much play. And it's interesting because my physical body kind of suffered because I, the day after that launch finished, I woke up completely exhausted, could hardly get out of bed, which has not happened to me for years. And I hadn't been doing music. I hadn't been surfing. I hadn't been rock climbing. I hadn't been doing all those things that light me up. And it's like my body was like, okay, enough. The pendulum swung too far to one end. Oh, totally. And so today is a Monday and it's the first day where we've had a bit more space. And straight away I was like, right, I'm going surfing, you know, and the change I feel in my body is huge. And not just because I'm out there soaking up these negative ions, getting sunscreen, sunshine. (laughs) With dolphins. You were surfing with dolphins today. Yeah, they were uh, about 30, 40 meters away from me and they were splashing around and jumping and flipping around. It was amazing. I was trying to paddle out closer to them. They were so beautiful. And so that moment came because I decided to play. So what's something you're doing or you want to do now more of, Melissa, for play? Yeah. So I think since having Bambi, I play way more. You're almost forced to play more when you have kids. Yeah. Watching her yesterday with the balloon for the first time. Oh my gosh. She was hilarious. She had a balloon for the first time. She'd never seen one. She was like, this is the best thing ever. And so every day I make sure I get down on the floor with her and I play. I am silly. I make sure I'm not the parent that's standing up next to the kid while they build the sandcastles. I'm down there building the sandcastle with her. I make sure I'm on the floor with her, crawling around with her, playing with her. And so right now that is my play. And now that we have launched Holy Mama, I want to get back into you know, my morning walks and dancing more and just doing more things for me because, like we said, we were in a big creation mode and now we know we can, we have more space for more play. But I think it's a daily thing. For me, it's a daily thing. Play, it's an, it is essential for my everyday life. And after that near death experience, it's, something I think about a lot. And I also think about since that moment, just whenever I'm taking myself too seriously or where, whenever I'm taking life too seriously or whenever I'm taking my work too seriously, just to kind of have a laugh. And I go back to that moment and I'm like, it could all be gone tomorrow. So have fun. Don't miss the whole point of life, which is to love and have fun and play and enjoy being here. And so whenever I'm taking myself too seriously or anything too seriously, I am taken back to that moment. And also whenever I am causing myself suffering from being in my head, is it Tony Robbins that says, stay in your head and you're dead? Whenever I notice that I'm really in my head, and I have been a lot lately, since becoming a mother actually, I've been a lot more in my head because I've been in that transition from maiden to mother. It's a huge shift physically, emotionally, spiritually. I've been a lot more in my head. And it's never a good idea to hang out in your head with your mean girl. It's just never a good idea. So I've been consciously reminding myself of that near-death experience and coming back to my heart and coming back to play and getting out of my head. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of the experience I had, which was, I think, 2017. It wasn't a near-death experience, but it was, I call it my 
Buddha week or my Jesus week. And it was so bizarre. And I've done a whole episode on this on my podcast, but essentially I'll just sort of nutshell it. I had this experience where I was working out on the grass in North Bondi. I was on my knees doing some stretches and all of a sudden I felt like I was getting blasted in some sort of wind tunnel. And I sort of put my arms back like I was racing through the universe. It was like the weirdest feeling ever. And then it stopped abruptly and all of a sudden everything was love. So you probably would call it some sort of kundalini awakening if you had to put words to it. And I wasn't consciously working on kundalini as such, obviously meditating and do those sorts of things, but not consciously working on kundalini. But I spent the next week walking around in this state of, I guess, like Buddhahood. It was, it was so weird. It was beautiful too. And essentially what it meant was everything I saw, everything I touched, everything I tasted was heightened massively. And the only way to really explain it was that everything was just pure love. Like I would see a child in the street and I just want to cry. I'd eat something and it was like I'd never eaten it before. I'd smell a flower. It was like I'd never smelt before. And it was just a taste, I think, of what's possible in the human state. I've not had that since. I think the closest thing to that would be probably, you know, people who who have experienced doing any sort of psychedelics like mushrooms or something may have experienced something like that. Um, or ayahuasca or those sorts of things. But I've not experienced that since. But it is a beautiful reminder of what we can feel. And for me, my lesson from that was that we have the capacity to be love and choose love in all situations. But of course, being human makes that hard because our ego gets in the way and we just can make, you know, less than ideal poor choices sometimes. So, that was probably the closest thing I've had to a, not a near death, but experiencing something like that. Mm, yeah. You were literally a changed man in that moment. I remember you walking back from that moment and you were literally, it was like you were levitating. It was so interesting. And yeah, you were in, before that though, I should also mention that you were in a really dark depression. So for then him to go down to the beach depressed and walk back like enlightened, I was like, excuse me, hello, what have you done with my husband? Well, it's also exactly what happened to, or a very similar thing that happened to Eckhart Tolle, where he was essentially depressed and suicidal and about to take his life. And then I think he was sitting on a park bench and boom, got snapped into this state of like, perpetual bliss, enlightenment. And for him, that lasted a lot longer. I think for several months, I think. I think he was pretty homeless at, at the time from memory. And often, I mean, that's just the opposites playing out, really, isn't it? Because he was experiencing the complete opposite of, of that, which was suicide and and wanting to kill himself. And for me, I had a period of a year of depression, which I've also spoken about, which was very, very challenging. And the opposite of depression is bliss. So, you know, the universe works in divine order, in balance. There is always an opposite to everything. There is love and hate and black and white, cold and hot, yin, yang, masculine, feminine, male, female. There's, there is balance in everything. And for me, the balance in that depression got shown to me, thankfully, as this state of love, unconditional love and bliss. It was pretty incredible. I wish I could have carried that a bit longer. But the challenging thing was I got snapped out of that back into depression. Mm, That wasn't fun, was it? No, but lots of lessons learned. Mm. So there's a book that you read years ago, I remember, called We Learn Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) And there was a guy in the book who gets stabbed, is that correct? And for the year after he gets stabbed, he's like walking around like an enlightened being, so grateful for his life. So Not so, just in, not so much enlightened, he was just not taking anything for granted. Mm. And then it just started to wear off and wear off and then he was back into his old ways. 
again. And he's, he's like, like, we learn nothing. We learn nothing. Freaking useless. <laughs> yeah. So you don't need to have these experiences to remember these things, that life is such a gift. It is so precious. What are the chances of you being you? One in 400 trillion. Yeah. One in 400 trillion chances that you were here, that your mom and your dad, the sperm and the egg from your parents got together out of all of those other eggs that were there you made it through. And all the people on the planet that they could have paired up with. Totally. For your mum and your dad to pair up together. In that moment. In that moment, at that time, you came through, like, out of all of the other eggs, one in 400 trillion chances. Like, that is a freaking miracle, guys. That is a miracle. And... We have to remember that life is so precious. It is so sacred. We only get one. One. In this body. In this body. And we might come back as an ant next time. (laughs) That'd be a serious regression, wouldn't it? Yeah, or a mozzie. (laughs) A mozzie. You know, I was at the beach the other day and my friend was like, don't move. And he hit my hat. And there was the biggest mosquito on there, and I've never seen so much blood. That's disgusting. From a mosquito. Are you serious? Yeah, it was like maybe like a a sixteenth of a teaspoon of blood. Like it was splattered everywhere. Whose blood? That's what I was like. I was thinking that's Mm. pretty freaking gross. That is disgusting. Anyway, you don't know how long you are here for. Like we don't know. No one has a crystal ball. The average person lives... 280. 280. Like, and you know, we are. You're over halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) If you think of it like that. Or, in terms of my own goals. Yeah, you're going to 120. I'm a third of the way there. I know you're going to 120. Well, I'm going to 120. But we don't have to take life so seriously. We don't have to push so hard. We don't have to suffer. It can be joyful. We can create what we truly want in this life and how we want to feel. Like we are responsible for how we show up and for how we want to feel. Like we are the only ones that can make us happy. So if we're unhappy, it's not about our partner making us happy or our friends or our children acting a certain way to make us happy. We are responsible for filling ourselves up, for making ourselves happy, for doing the things that light us up. Imagine, just imagine if everyone freaking did that. If everyone did that, no one would be angry. Which, again, in the interests of polarity, polarity is not possible. Mm. But you, listening to this, have that choice because you're here in this moment listening to this message and you have the choice to be different, not to be more, to become more. And so I know you know all of these things. We all know everything. Everything is within us. Everything is within us. And then like that book, we learn nothing. We forget, you know, we forget and we wake up. We forget and we wake up. We forget and we wake up. We have a coming of Jesus moment like Nick did. And then we remember and then we forget and then we remember, then we forget. But don't beat yourself up. Don't be so hard on yourselves. We're doing the best we can. And have fun along the way. Follow people on Instagram who are having fun, who are living in an inspiring way. And do that too. Like, do that. Because life is so precious. It's interesting, you know, like I've had moments where I've been experiencing, what would you say? I'm trying to put this tactfully. Hmm, I'm not sure. Um, under the influence of certain things that help me experience things differently. Okay. Yeah. And just kind of like, ha, 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 how ridiculous. <laughs> like in that state, looking at things that I was worried about and just seeing how ridiculous some of those things were. Or even just like, 
business ideas. Oh, I'm thinking of this business and that business. And then in that state going, I can't believe I'm spending so much time thinking about businesses. I should just be looking at the stars and the plants and realizing that, that I am the stars and the plants. Basically. Um, so yeah, not taking it too seriously. And, and what are you working towards? Like, just think about that. What are you actually working towards? Like, are you talking about overall in general or with your health? Like, are you talking about different areas? Oh, career or whether you're a mother or whatever it is. Like, what do you, what, whatever the goals you have right now, like, are they really important? Just think about it. Like, what are you actually working towards? And I wonder this because we have a business coach and we sit on other businesses' boards and we hear all these different things that different businesses experience. And I just wonder sometimes, like, what's the freaking point of all this? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Well, why? you know, like you, you and I always say, like, we're in this human experience. We've got to do something with our time. It's true. Right? And, and that's what I realized coming out of that state was that, well, it might seem ridiculous when your detachment and your ego is dissolved because you've consumed something. But um, when you come back, you realize, no, I have to play a little bit, a little bit by the rules, earth rules. And part of that is working towards something. But you can still make that thing that you're working towards more meaningful. Absolutely. Give it, yeah, a why. Like, why are you doing it? What does it mean for you? I'll give you an example. Like, one of the things I'm pursuing at the moment, which I'm quite excited about, is buying businesses. And it's really interesting because Melissa's got a great business and, you know, I've done lots of different things over the years. I've got my music. Music, unless you are having standout hits and touring, you're not really making a living off it, let's be honest. Um, so we're fortunate that we are able to work together in Melissa's business and and make a great lifestyle out of that. But I started thinking, you know what? I, I want to start looking at other opportunities. You know, I want to start looking at things that are um, going to bring a different type of space and freedom to our life. Now, why am I saying this? Because there are lots of different things out there that we can do that afford us freedom, right? And ultimately, what I want in my life is freedom. I want choices. And Melissa's business is amazing, of course. But there's also the dream of more children. And I started thinking, well, how can we do this in a way where we always have choices, always, regardless of what's going on around us, we always have choices. So I've been playing with the idea of buying other businesses, which is going to be really fun. So why was I telling that story? I'm not sure. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> She's looking at me like I'm an absolute pickle. She's got nothing. She's got nothing. No, you've got nothing. What is the point of that story? Well, maybe that's the point. <laughs> anyway, there is no guys, point. coming back to what we were talking about, bringing meaning to everything that you do, bringing meaning to your personal life, bringing meaning to your work. We, you know, we have to work. We're in, we're in earth school. Like this is part of being in earth school. So how can we bring more meaning back into it? And that's what I was going to say. Oh, here we go. It was about meaning. All right. No, no. I started thinking if it's about meaning, you want to have the space, ideally the space and the choice is the freedom to be able to do the things that bring the most meaning to yourself and to the world with your own special gifts. Okay. And so I started thinking, well, how do you do that? Well, you can basically leverage off other people's businesses to create that space for you. There are, if you just go and search seekbusiness.com.au, there's a lot of amazing businesses out there that are available to buy. And did you know you can do something called cash flow lending where you can actually borrow 100% of that business cost and put yourself in a, a very aggressive payment schedule. And in five years, you could own that business completely debt-free and just collect the net profits every year. That's well, cool. Well, what does that mean? You don't have the space to do what is meaningful, to add more value to the world. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. But that's a pretty, pretty good tip, <laughs> I reckon. 
Did you guys know that? I reckon it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. You're amazing, honey. You are amazing. Whatever. You are. You are amazing. And is that why you're rolling your eyes? I'm not rolling my eyes. You did before. Oh, before when you forgot what you were saying. Yeah, but in the end it worked out. Yes, it always does. See, I was working towards something meaningful. It always does. Yeah, you are. You're you're a meaningful man. But no, it always does work out in the end. And sometimes when we're in it, we don't know why it's happening the way that it's happening, but it always works out the way it's supposed to. Like with us on our conscious conception journey, in the moment I was like, why is this happening? Why is it taking so long? But it worked out perfectly the way it was supposed to, when it was supposed to. And everything is always working out the way that it's meant to. Imagine not having little Bambi. Oh, no, I can't even. <laughs> I can't even. <sighs> she is so cute. Oh, my gosh. I love her so much. Me too. And if you want to know what we we put a name to these blackouts because we were like, does this exist elsewhere? Is there like a term for it? And the term is psychogenic blackout. That's the closest thing we could find online. On the Googs. Dr. Googs <laughs> helped us out with that one. <laughs> so, Psychogenic blackouts. And then, yeah, they did happen a few more times, but not as serious. And I would just stay with Melissa and hold her hand and stroke her hair and watch her go white and she come back. And it it actually happened for about 12 months, but on and off. And it got lesser and lesser in severity and frequency. And when was the last time that happened? Mm, I don't know. Uh, but you were a bit concerned because this happened in 2018 in September and we were going to LA that oh. month, remember? And you were like, I don't know if you can go. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, psychogenic blackouts often happen to students before exams when they're just under pressure of their brain, so crammed full of information. The brain just goes, you know what? This is too much. Going I'm just, offline. I'm going offline, tapping out. Ciao. So... Let me finish the story. So the doctors were saying you have to stay overnight. This was probably around four in the afternoon, five in the afternoon by this time. I can't remember. And they said, you have to stay overnight. I really didn't want to stay, really, really didn't want to stay overnight and thought about sneaking out. And Nick's like, okay, just stay. They want to hook you up to all of these heart monitors. Just stay. I'll go home and get you some stuff. I'll come back, bring you some things like your phone charger. And I think you bought me some clothes. You bought me a green smoothie. I can't actually remember what you bought me. But you said, just go to sleep. Just have a really good sleep. And I actually had an amazing sleep. Uh, You came back. um, I think I brushed my teeth and then got back into the bed and went to sleep and woke up the next morning. I had a really, really good sleep. And woke up the next morning and then a nurse comes in and offered me the most god-awful food and said, the doctor will be in at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock, whatever it was, and you'll have to wait for him to come and clear you and, and, you know, make sure everything's okay. And so I'm just sitting in there waiting and waiting till 9 or 10, whenever it was, and he comes in and he says, I've checked everything. There's nothing wrong, but I'd like you to come back and we're going to run some other tests. And I was like, what kind of tests are you going to run? And he started throwing out all of these names to me and I'm texting Nick going, look up these tests, look these up. And he was coming in to get me by this time. But again, it was like 30 minutes away. So he is searching all of these tests and I remember them a few of them being a little bit invasive, they were like, you might have to, didn't they have to like inject me with some stuff or something like that, babe? Yeah, like inject me with some sort of, yeah, radioactive dye or something. Yeah, to check my brain. That's right. I was like, you can take your radioactive dye and keep it. I'm good. Thanks. That you're not put injecting that into me. So I'm like texting Nick all of these random tests that they're wanting to do. And uh, so I had to, he said, okay, you got to come back like for a day thing, a day surgery in and out or something like that. And I was like, yep. And he's like, no, promise me you're going to come back. And I was like, I'll just take this form. (laughs) I was like, I'll just take the form. And he's like, you're going to have to fill it out now and book in your time. And I was like, 
I'll call you back. I'll call you when I get home. And then, um, yeah, I remember he actually walked in and he saw that I, I hadn't touched any of the food. And he said to me, you should really eat something. And I was like, oh, I'm good. And so then he thought I didn't eat because he's like, why aren't you eating the white oh, bread? The stodge. Oh, yeah. And he says, you really need to eat some stodge. That was his advice to me. You really need to eat some stodge. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, like junk, like stodge. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he, yeah, he was like, why aren't you eating all of the stuff on the on the table? Well, as well, honestly, the hospital is not used to seeing the blood pressure of a very aerobically healthy plant-based 30, what were you, 31-year-old or something at the time, just not used to it. Because it was, it was a lot lower than what they're used to, and they, they would put that in like a high risk. It was so low, but it's actually not at all. It's just kind of normal for someone who's got really clean blood and, yeah, he's got good fitness. Yes. So anyway, he wanted me to come back. Nick comes in with a green smoothie for me and was like, let's get out of here. And then we left and it was such a whirlwind and we, yeah, we, we went home and we reflected and like Nick said, this happened on and off again for not that severe, like nowhere near that severe, but that happened on and off for like 12 months and we didn't tell anyone about it. We spoke to your parents about it and Nick's dad is very, very spiritual, advanced, like he got it. He was like, yeah, yeah, I've had those. So he was very supportive and both of Nick's parents were amazing and just supported us during this time. And we didn't really want to talk about it. It was so big and it was really sensitive, to be honest. And I was still processing and trying to find words. And even sharing this with you now, it doesn't do it justice. It really doesn't do it justice. It's kind of like whenever I talk about my birth story, words cannot do the enormity, the the power, the magic, the just everything, the power of it. Like words, there's no words in the English dictionary that can sum it up. And even me sharing about it now, it's like it doesn't even touch the surface of how profound this experience was for me, same as my birth, life-changing. My birth was life-changing, a moment, a day in my life that I will never, ever forget. And same with this near-death experience. And so I wanted to share it with you because these lessons that and reminders that I got during it, I really hope they resonate with you. You know, we don't have to take life so seriously. We don't have to cause ourselves inner suffering and turmoil. Play is why we are here. If we're not playing, we're missing the point. And these are things that I remember every day since that moment. And I hope that, you know, you can take these with you into your day and into your life and share them with your children. And remember that we have one precious life, one. And when I actually say that, I get really emotional thinking about Bambi, like that I've only got one life with her, even though I know I've had many, many, many lives with her before. But That sucks. Yeah, I know. I'm like, far out. Can I have like 50 billion with her? And, you know, the same with parenting, like you only get one chance to have that journey until they're 18. And like Leo, he's in year 12. And I think about the way I parented in the earlier days. I'm like, damn it. I feel like I really missed the magic and the opportunity. I did my best. I was a very young dad with a lot of pressure. But it is what it is. And he chose to be in that situation. He incarnated into that soul and, you know, into that body sort of Body soddy. <laughs> body, sorry. <laughs> body soddy. Body soddy. That's a cool brand. And <laughs> I'm going to build a business. He's going to build body a business. Bodysoddy.com. You don't need any more businesses, babe. Please calm down over here. But, you know, life is precious. It is sacred. We only get one. One with our partner, one with our children, doing the work that we love. Like we only get one. So make the most of it. Squeeze yep. the most juice. Did I feature in that remorse? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Bambi. What about me?
<laughs> Darling, I came back for you. Did you really? Yes, honey. You came back for Loco Love. Be, on, be honest. Okay, no, definitely. Like Locos were calling me back when I was having, when I was being pulled by my nonna and Jess and the white light. It was the almond caramel crunch. It was the almond caramel. No, it was the pecan butter caramel. It was pulling me back. It was just like calling my name. No, darling, you're what pulled me back. You are. You are. You were. (laughs) 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 Were. No, I'm just kidding. My love for you is deep. Inches deep. (laughs) (laughs) So remember that we only get one life in this body with this partner, with these kids, in this time, space, reality. One, make the freaking most of it. Treat every day like a holiday. Don't wait for the weekend. Don't wait for the holiday. Treat every day like the best day ever. Treat every day like Christmas Day, if that's your favorite day. Treat every day like the best day ever. You know, I have this rule. Uh, I think that with loco loves, like treat every day like it's a loco love day. You know, like why not eat chocolate every day? Is that just not? No, I'm not allowed to. Uh, how much? Mm, okay. Like I think about them a lot. <laughs> yeah, since you started saying that, now I'm thinking about them. Okay. No. Al- although this week I've been thinking about 72 hour slow fermented pizza. Oh, yum. But why not eat 72-hour slow-fermented sourdough organic pizza every day? Yeah, I'm doing it now. Okay. All righty. And chocolate every day. No, I'm just joking, guys. Oh, chocolate pizza. Nah, nah. Nah, nah, nah. It doesn't work. I'm just joking, guys. But treat every day like the best day ever. Treat every day like it's your last Treat every day with so much joy, play, fun, adventure. Get down on the floor with your kids. Kiss them so much. Kiss your partner. Be kind. Treat every day like the best day ever because we don't know how long we're here for. We don't know. And we don't know how long our partner is here for or our kids are here for. And that that's that pulls on my heartstrings. We don't know how long we're all here for together in this unit. So soak it up. Have fun. See your friends. Don't save the dress for the nice event. Wear the dress every day. You know, don't save the expensive china for the dinner party. Does anyone have expensive china? Apparently. <laughs> Is that even a thing? I think so. Just use it. Use. I mean, like, we have, we have nice placemats. Why aren't we using the nice placemats every day? Why are we using the ugly ones? That's <laughs> true. Why? Okay, that's it. What are we saying? <laughs> that's it. They're coming out. They're coming out. And I think. <laughs> what are we waiting for? You know, I think a really profound way to wrap this up would be. Eat Loco Loves? Would be to say that I have a new song out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Talk so about meaning. Last your, week. Your music is so meaningful. Yeah, last week I released a song under my other project, Anobi, that's E-N-O-B-E, which has just been so amazing to see how well that's been doing. So thank you so much for everyone who's been listening to Anobi. And the new song is called Just Like Kryptonite, and it is really fun, and I just love it so much. And the singer, if you guys are a fan of Songland, which was a, I think, an NBC or a Foxtel TV show in America... Uh, one of the guys who won that, his name was J.T. Roach. And he turned up to Songland and he performed one of the songs he'd written. And Ryan Tedder from One Republic chose that to be released on their latest album, which is now out. It was called Some Somebody to Love by One Republic. It was written by J.T. Roach. And J.T. is the singer on Just Like Kryptonite. And he co-wrote that song with me. And my producer stopped. Todd Spader for, and it's so much fun. Go to Spotify, Inobi. We'll link to it in the show notes and check out that song and other songs. If you could do me a favor, please add that to a playlist as well. It just really helps with the algorithm in Spotify and save the song. Hit the little love heart. Let me know what you think. Come and tell me on Instagram. My new Instagram handle is at Nick Broadhurst. Yes. And do us a favor and go to Spotify right now and just follow Inobi and Nick Broadhurst. And listen to all of his music. It's so good, guys. It truly is so good. And talk about 
you know, meaning and coming from your heart, like the amount of love that this man pours into his music. And art is, uh, you know, for anyone listening who creates art, and we all do, and when you put it out into the world, it can feel so big. I know for me, it definitely feels big every time I put out a podcast or a book or a program like Holy Mama. I feel so vulnerable and exposed. But hearing people's feedback and having people buy the book or listen to the music or buy the program or listen to the podcast, it just means so much. So go and check it out and let us know what you think. And remember to play, to not take life too seriously, to bring meaning to everything that you do and to not take your life or your work or anything too seriously. Just have fun. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. We love you so much, and we will see you on the next one.